You're listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can visit us online at covenantchurch.us. Not having and showing the love of God to yourself and those around you is the definition of Antichrist. This message is from part three of our series, Anti, where we are learning the difference between the love of the world and the love of Christ. And now, here is your lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. Good morning. Oh, you all got to get with it. Come on, good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you. I want you to open up your uh, Bible, turn on your Bible, look up to the screen for some Bible. Uh, if you're listening on podcasts, do none of those, just listen to Bible. And uh, open up to 1 John chapter 4. We're in our series entitled Anti. I've enjoyed this series. You guys enjoyed this series so far? Yeah? Um, today we are going to be talking about something uh, that relates to, to all of us. And I want to start off just by reading this passage, John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. God's word says this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many, say many, many. false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the, say it with me, Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, and pause real quick, we know that John is not talking down to us. This is the Greek word technia, which actually means my reborn ones, people who are of the faith of following Jesus Christ. We are reborn into Jesus, reborn because of Jesus. He's speaking to us. He says, my reborn ones, my little children, you are from God. Now listen to this verse. This is crazy. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I'm going to read that one more time. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That, that was better. We got a little bit. You, you did it because I read it again. But we need to give a genuine response to that. Think about that. This should shoot some life into our bones. This should bring some, some quickness to our step. This should bring, bring some, a little exhilaration to our voice. The understanding that the one who dwells in us is greater than anything around us. Because of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have been empowered by God to be victorious. That is a good thing. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah? Yeah. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 5. Settle down. Verse 5. <laughs> they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. I love that. We're from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we gather together as a family, as a church, as a group of people. Some of us know Jesus, some of us don't. Some of us are close to Christ, others of us aren't. Some of us have deep questions. Others of us are wrestling today with brokenness and depression. Other, others of us, Lord, we're, we're wrestling with becoming first-time parents or whatever it may be, God. But we all come here with all of our different situations and circumstances 
right now, Lord, we lay them all at your feet. And we ask today that you would speak to us from your word. May we open our hands, our hearts, our minds to what you have for us. And as your word tells us in Hebrews, Lord, that that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. So today, Lord, may your word pierce us to our hearts. May it shape us. May it change us. We love you in Jesus' name. And we all said? And we all said? All right. Sometimes when a pastor's preaching and a church responds, you get a better message. All right, here we go. Now, we know from the previous chapters that we've been um, walking through in 1 John that John is kind of, he's focusing on three areas. Number one, he's talking about who God is. He says, God is what? God is light. God is light. And in God, there is no darkness at all. He comes out strong, swinging for the fences with that. But then he also switches over to this idea that there are people who were raised up in their church who have now gone out from them. Remember? And these we call the Gnostic Christians, the Gnostic false teachers. These were people who were raised up in church and then left and are now teaching a false gospel about Jesus and a false gospel about spirituality and what it means to be a Christian. But then also John is focusing in on these, quote, little children, these these reborn ones. This is us, his church. And he's talking all through this book about how we can have assurance in Christ and how we can live in a world that is anti Christ. Now, when I say the word antichrist, probably something comes to mind akin to like the apocalypse. Am I right? Um, maybe you, you think of the left behind books. Anybody read those books? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Carpathia. Okay. Um, or maybe even the left behind movie starring the incredible acting skills of Nicolas Cage. Anybody? We all saw. No, no one saw that. You're clapping. Amazing. That is, that is good for you. That's why he has money. All right. Um, no, I'm just joking. Um, not really. However, John, John here is actually speaking about the spirit of Antichrist, which, which is a lot more devious um, than, than any, than, than really than the Antichrist that we read of in the end times. Not to, to segregate that out, but this, this is an Antichrist spirit that lives among us and in the world. And so John has been talking about God. He's been talking to believers and he's been talking about these Gnostic false teachers. Hang on here. Got to give you context. But now he's shifting. He's still talking about the Gnostics, but he's also talking about something else. Look at here. He says, many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many. So he widens the playing field. And this is applicable for us today because we live in a world that is separated from God because of sin. Yes? We know that because of sin, sin entered into the world and separated the creation from its creator. And so it's not like the world's like, oh, I want to get back to my creator. No, the world is an enemy of God. Scripture tells us that the world is an enemy of God. And if the world is an enemy of God and we are children of God, we are therefore, or therefore the world is an enemy with us. Okay? We've talked about this before, the fact that we don't have one enemy, but that we have multiple enemies. We have the devil, we have the world, and we have our own flesh. So don't be fooled. Um, So John is talking in this passage, and we're going to elaborate here, about how we can live or how what actions we can take to go about living in a world that is anti-Christ. And I want you to write these down. The first one is this. Number one, the first action we can take is know who you're following. 
Write that down this morning. Know who you're following. Look at your neighbor and say, know who you're following. <coughs> yeah, so here's a quick question, uh, a quick survey. If I were to tell you this morning that, that I'm, I'm confident that our world could live in complete peace, complete unity, and a harmony, that sounds like a good thing, right? Yeah? What if I told you that, that I believe that this world could become a utopia, where, where people love each other, where there's really no one in need, where no one has any want for anything because all are taken care of. What if I told you that, that I believe that we could, we could lengthen the, um, you know, the, the age uh, that we live to and, and, and we could limit the diseases that we encounter? That would sound like a great thing, wouldn't it? Would you agree with that? Yeah? Now, what if I told you that was an ideology put forth by a man named Adolf Hitler. How does that shape what you just heard? It's important to know who you're following. Too often we just listen to what somebody is saying. And what I'm telling you is that who you're following is just as important as what they are saying. If not, you might end up just falling over the side of a cliff. Interesting story in 2005 outside of, um, outside of Istanbul in a little town called Jivas in, in Turkey. Uh, there's a little shepherding community, roughly 1,500 sheep, and, and in one day they lost all their sheep. It wasn't an attack on uh, all the sheep by wolves or lions or hunters, sheep hunters. Anyway, um, anything like that, they really want that wool. Um, what had happened was that these sheep were up grazing, 1,500 of them, um, and they were up grazing on top of a mountainside, and, and the sheep that was in the front of the, the pack, we'll call them, um, they, they, he fell off the cliff. He just fell. And this is a tragedy in and of itself. That's somebody's livelihood. But what happened next was like horrifying to these Turkish shepherds because they watched in utter amazement and horror as one after the next, the sheep were jumping off the cliff. So this sheep fell, the next one jumped, then the next one jumped, now the next one jumped until 1,500 sheep laid in a pile at the bottom of a cliff. The only ones that survived, true story, the only ones that survived were the last few who, who fell off the cliff and because the pile of sheep was so high, actually cushioned their fall. Now, now was there a wolf attack? No. Were there lions? No. What, why did this happen? Simply put, they were just following the sheep that was in front of them. They didn't even know of the danger that was in front. They were just watching the one sheep in front of them. And John is saying, in this world, you have to know who you're following. And, and he says to test the spirits. That sounds kind of strange. He's not talking about like yoga. He's not talking about like meditation. He's not talking about, uh, I, I don't know, uh, sitting in a weird way in a, in a place of sand with ringing bells. That's not what I was talking about, right? Or a Ouija board. That's, He's literally talking about testing what type of spirit somebody has when they're speaking to you. And he says, you just have to ask one question. Look at this. He says this. Here's the question. Do they confess that Jesus has come in the flesh from God? That's the question. Do they confess that Jesus has come in the flesh from God? That is a defining question to somebody who you are following. I'll tell you why. Because this question answers a whole host of other questions. If, if this question is answered as a yes, I believe that Jesus, basically, Jesus is who he said he was. He's the son of God that he came in the flesh. 
then everything else falls in line because everything that Jesus said, you automatically identify with. You automatically believe. Does that make sense? This infers the um, hypostatic union that we talked about a few uh, weeks ago. This, this, this infers the, um, the incarnation, the death, burial, and resurrection, that all these things are true. This is a question that John tells us that we are to ask to people that we follow to find out if they're of God or, or not. And so I want to put it this way, man. No matter what kind of catchy book you are reading from an author, if this question is a no or has any question uh, you know, associated with it, that is not an author that you want to take a straight truth. I'm not saying don't read it, but I'm just saying you may have to eat the meat and spit the bones on that book. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, no matter how famous the person is, no matter how large of a following, no matter how appealing their, quote, new truth may be, if they cannot affirm that Jesus Christ was sent by God, came in the flesh, walked in our shoes, died for us, and rise, rose again for our sins, that is not a person that you want to follow. Amen? This is what John says. He didn't know what to say amen. You're kind of scared. It's all right. We'll keep going. Um, now, these Gnostics, they were spreading lies and malicious talk about early um, truth within the church, early truth about Jesus to people inside the church, and it created division. You ever been around somebody that creates division? Nothing worse than division inside of a church. Nothing worse than division inside of a church. And so John is just doing his, his duty here. He's doing some house cleaning but part of the reason there was division in the church from these Gnostics is point number two, the people didn't know what they believed. The next approach to living in a world that is antichrist is you have to know what you believe. Let me just ask you, church. Let me just ask you, brother, sister in Christ. Do you know what you believe? I'm not asking what kind of home were you raised in. I'm not asking what, what kind of Bible story do you know. I'm literally asking you, do you know what you believe? Furthermore, do you know why you believe what you believe? Here's why it's so important. We live in a world that, that, that thrives on you, that, that depends on you not knowing what you believe and why you believe it. Would you agree with that? We live in a world that is anti-Christ, that thrives and depends on you not knowing why you believe what you believe and what you believe. We live in a world where subtle nuances make a tremendous difference. Nuances like tolerance. Nuances like I'm spiritual. Nuances like fetus. These nuances make a large difference. Sometimes the difference between life and death in this world expects you to be stupid. This world expects you to be naive. This world depends on you being naive in what you believe and why you believe what you believe. So let me ask you again, do you know what you believe? And do you know why you believe what you believe? And let me just throw that out there. It's not enough to, to say you know what you believe because somebody told you what to believe. 
I think part of the reason we're so swayed or swayed so easily is because it's easier to be told that something is true than to go out and find out if something is actually true. You know what I'm saying? It's easier to be told truth than to find truth. It's easier to be told this is what you should believe. It's harder to, to go research if something is true. And I think too often we, we trust the loudest person in the room as being true. In other words, we, we end up believing what someone says just because they vocalize it over everybody else. Would you agree with that? Yeah? And I want to say this, the decibel level of someone's voice should never be a catalyst for truth. Never. The catalyst for truth, the catalyst for whether someone is truthful or not is finding out what they believe and where what they believe comes from. Consider the source. You have to consider the source when you're talking about truth. Where is your truth coming from? Considering the source is important. And I got five kids, and uh, truth is kind of elusive in our home sometimes. Um, the other day, a three-year-old, um, fire engine, man, red head, like crazy, freckles, uh, pale skin. He is going to be awesome. And uh, he is. He takes after his dad. And... Uh, Anyway, and, and so he, he's three. He runs inside, and he's kind of limp, and he's like, Dad. I said, yeah. And he goes, Noah, by the way, Noah's nine. Um, he's awesome as well. Um, but, but he said, Noah told me that if I jumped off my twee house that I would bounce so high I could catch the top of the twees. <laughs> I said, how'd that work out for you? He goes, I think I broke my foot, Dad. <laughs> That's what he said, right? I wanted to get down on my knees and say, consider the source, son, Right? <laughs> Consider where you get your truth from. And I would go as far to say this. Unless somebody's truth comes from something greater than them, it's probably not truth. And the thing that is greater than us is God's word. Unless your truth comes from the word of God, then it's not truth. John says it's not a source that you should trust. He says it like this in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you hear, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And I think this, this, this speaks to our faith. Would you agree? Faith is the basis of our Christian life. And we're going to get real here for a moment, okay? Just very real. The problem nowadays, I believe, is that people don't know what faith is. We don't know what faith is. And to be honest, the church is in trouble. Church is in trouble. And the trouble is that we are not taking God seriously enough. I'm going old school. But it's the truth. We are not taking God at his word. We are not taking God seriously enough. And you say, well, what's the proof of that? I'll give you some proof. Uh, we don't take his word seriously enough. You know why we don't take God seriously enough? Because we don't take his word seriously enough. We don't know scripture. We don't read scripture. We don't memorize scripture. We can't turn to scripture to give answers to the world today. Many, quote, Christians don't even seem interested in finding out what the truth of Scripture is concerning a matter. Can I just say this? That's not good enough. That's not good enough. That is not how you win a world to Jesus Christ. 
If, if I were to give you a manual on how to work a device and yet you neglected the manual, then, then just forgot about it. And I walked up to you and said, hey, how's, how's, uh, the, how's the device I gave you going? I don't know how to work it. Well, I gave you a manual. Yeah, I just didn't feel like reading it. Do you, can you imagine how frustrating that must be? We have everything we need to do all that God has called us to do, and yet we do not use it. Maybe you call yourself a Christian, but do you really know what Christian truth is? I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just asking you, do you know what Christian truth is? Do you truly? Can you explain your faith? Do you, ba do you base it on the Bible? Could you defend it against challenges? Faith is the most momentous reality that I can think of. We need to know what we believe, and we need to know why we believe what we believe. We need to know how to defend it against challenges, and we need to have reason for relying on it as the basis of truth for our lives. Would you agree? In our culture, in our world today, do you know what you believe, and do you know why you believe what you believe? Can I just kind of get personal for a second real quick with you? Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you searched Scripture for truth on a matter. When is the last time that you truly, here's a good one, heard from God? When? When's the last time you heard from God? And you say, what does that look like? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like the clouds parting and, and, and naked cherub babies descending and shooting you with arrows and, and God saying, hello, my son, whom I'm well. No, I'm talking about God's word. When is the last time you were convicted and compelled and moved, felt God speak to you through his word? You say, well, I don't really know how that works. Well, can you read? God wrote a book, bestseller. Well, I can't read. Okay, can you hear? You now can listen to it on your phone. Well, I can't see and I can't read which would be in the same. Okay, well, they, they make it in Braille. That's my point. We have no excuse not to be in God's word as Christian. Can you agree with me on that? Yes, amen? There's no excuse. And one day, we will each stand to give an account for our lives. And I didn't know is not an excuse that will be tolerated. I didn't know. How did you not know? I never heard from you. I wrote you a book. I gave you my thoughts. I gave you my commands. I want to say this and then move on to my last point. The moment that you stop hearing from God is the moment that you stop growing in God. The moment that you stop hearing from God is the moment that you stop growing in God. Do you know what you believe? Point number three, and I'll close with this point. Do you know who you're following? Do you know what you believe? And then lastly, how, what is an action we take how are we to behave in a world that is anti-Jesus, that is anti-Christ? I'll tell you, number three, listen, this is the strongest point of all. Take a stand. Take a stand. John says something in this text that, as I said earlier, should shoot life through your bones. Listen to verse four. He says this, children, you are from God and have overcome them 
For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Can we put that verse up on the screen? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I'm going to keep saying this verse over. I'm not trying to get a response. I want to get this down deep inside of you. Because this is not an opinion of some man. This is not a thought of some philosopher. This is the word of God. This is a promise. This is truth. And John says, you are from God. You've overcome them. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do you know why this is good news? No matter what takes place around me, no matter what type of terrorism happens, no matter what type of atrocious things and scary things happen in the world, I know that my God is greater than any of it and than all of it. And he lives in me and I have power over that, not because of myself, but because of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who lives in me. The third thing we must do is take a stand. John says, get a backbone. Be a man. Be a woman. Stand for something. You know what's crazy is that we live in a world filled with people that don't know Jesus who are not afraid to take a stand. And yet we as Christians are scared to offend. We as Christians slink and back off into the background. John says, what, what are you doing? You have power within you. There is greatness within you. And I'm telling you, church, you have never seen power until you've sent a church, seen a church set free in the power of Jesus Christ. You want to see our nation change? It will happen because of the local church. But if we're having churches that are filled with Christians that don't know what they believe or why they believe what they believe and are scared to step on toes, we will never see revival take place in our nation. We'll never see it. We'll never see that take place. I believe that John is saying, get a backbone. Now, following Christ isn't easy. Sorry. I don't know if you know that or not. Maybe you've realized that, but following Christ is not easy. Maybe you were told that when you become a Christian, everything's good. Everybody's going to hand you a latte and a lollipop. But that's just not how Christianity works. The fact of the matter is, like, people aren't going to like you. Now, a lot of us are people pleasers, and that hurts. But that's the truth. Let's just take it a step further. Not only are people not going to like you based on what you believe, but people are going to hate you. And Jesus says, why would you expect any different? They hate you because they hated me first. See, we want to identify with Jesus until we remember that the people Jesus came to save are the ones that actually killed him. I want to be just like Jesus. Up to that point right there. Because I want to say stuff and do stuff, but you know, I also want everybody to like me too. And it's not about making enemies, but the fact of the matter is there are people in this world that would want to take your life from you based on what you believe. And you say, well, that's a little extreme. No. You know why you say it's extreme? Because we live in America. Because we live in our bubble. Because we're after our fast cars. We're after our, we're our homes. We're after a larger income. And those are the things that consume us. And those are the things that we think about. And those are the things that we pursue. While our brothers and sisters in Christ outside of America are dying for their faith. Literally. Do you know this year we are on pace to have more Christians executed in this year than ever before in history? We don't even, we don't even know it. We don't even think about it. We need a backbone. Who do you identify with? Who do you serve? Who do you 
follow. I'll close with this. I think that it's time we start living with an eternal perspective. Living with an eternal perspective will help you take a stand. Living with an eternal perspective will help in the way uh, that you raise your children, that, that you um, date, that you go about with your finances, living with an eternal perspective. Because I read this, word, I read this verse about, um, I think it's a victorious verse about that, you know, greater is he who is in me than, than he who is in the world. And it's a victorious verse. And yet we look around the world and we see people dying for what they believe. And you say, well, how is there any victory in that? Thought you said it was a victorious verse. That doesn't sound very victorious, but that's because you're living with a temporary perspective. You're not living with an eternal perspective. Remember Paul? Remember the Apostle Paul? (laughs) Paul was the most frustrating Christian of all time. Paul said things like, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so Paul would say, hey, hey man, put me in a prison, I'm going to sing hymns. Set me free, I'm going to preach the gospel. Kill me, that's fine, I'll be with Jesus. What do you do with a human like Paul? You beat him, and they did. You put him in jail, and they did. And you know what happens? Earthquakes. He sings. He leads everybody to Christ, and he saves the, he sails the jailer. That's what happens. And then he leaves with the jailer. Then he leaves with the people, and they go start churches in that hometown. And then he leaves and goes and does that again. I'm telling you, Paul has an eternal perspective. We need an eternal perspective. If you're going to take a stand in this culture, you need to have an eternal perspective. And I, and I want to say this. I keep saying I'm closing with this, but every time I do, you get my, I get your attention back. So I'll just say it again. In closing. <laughs> for real. In closing. Now, now is not the time to back down. In a walk with Christ, now is not the time to be quiet. We've been quiet for too long, church. You have been quiet for too long. Now is the time to take a stand. Now is the time to stand up for what you believe in. Now is the time to share your faith. Now is the time to invite your friends to a journey with Christ. Now is the time to talk about what you believe. Now is the time to to share scripture. Now is the time to stand up and not let people take your freedoms and your liberties, liberties from you. Now is that time. Now we can either be like the sheep and just jump over the cliff or we can actually do some real damage for the name of Jesus Christ. Now is the time. You want to see a nation changed? Empower the local church. You want to see a nation go to hell? Have a bunch of lazy Christians. What what will it be? Who do you identify with? Jesus says, choose you this day who you will serve. Thank you for listening to this message from our series, Anti, at Covenant Church. We hope you've been impacted by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us for more information and to listen to more impactful sermon audios just like this.